Trent, come up here. Let's pray. I want to pray for you, and then uh, we'll hear God's word this morning. Father, you are the Lord of the harvest. And so this morning, in a way that only you can, pour out your blessing on your son, your servant, Trent. Uh, Prepare our ears to hear your truth through his words. Prepare our hearts to be shaped. Holy Spirit, join us and sanctify us in your name, Jesus. We pray for nothing but truth to be shared here. And we rejoice in the fact that your word cannot go out and return void. Thank you for the work that Trent has done this week in prayer, in study, in time, to be faithful to what you have for us. We pray these things in your name, in your name alone, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks. I think it's funny that the uh, picture of the iPhone that was up there, it says 10.02, but the clock said 12.11. Come on, Matthew, get with it. (laughs) Hey, we're uh, Matthew chapter 15 today. Um, And as always, we encourage you to read the chapters. On the preaching schedule, it would take... I think I figured it out a couple weeks ago that it would be a year and a half to two years if we preached every, the theological term is pericope, every segment of scripture in this book. We just we can't do that. And, we, and we're getting the Easter and we want to make sure that the Matthew Easter passion narrative is at the right time. So we're skipping some chapters. And so this week on the preaching schedule, it said uh, Matthew 14, or 14, 15. So I encourage you either the week before a particular passage or the week immediately following to read the whole, the, what we skipped. I mean, we, we, we had Matthew, Matthew 13 was last week, this week, Matthew 14, 15. And we're going to concentrate on the first 20 verses of Matthew 15. Um, now, a couple of weeks ago, I had a gentleman sitting in my office and uh, he said this, and I don't think this is true of most people, but he said, I really like it when you stand up and you tell us you're going to poke us. Um, so I'm going to poke you. Actually, it's not me, it's Jesus. He was poking the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he was poking his disciples. He was not poking the crowd. In fact, he had tender words for the crowd. So I'm just going to let you know that, that if, you, if you take issue with the message today, if it, if it kind of, yeah, uh, kind of one of those, take it up with Jesus. And that will be my encouragement at the end of the, at the, end of the message. If you don't want to be poked, um, there's little ripples up on the ceiling. Just start counting those. By the time you get to kind of where you're sitting, um, probably, probably be over, okay? Now, here's some things I would like you to know before we get to it, just so that, you know, just putting some background, some context into this. Uh, the, Jesus has been tattled on. So the, he's been in Galilee, and this chapter is when he, he moves from Galilee and starts working his way to Jerusalem to work toward the passion. That's his, his arrest, his torture, his death, his descension to hell, his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension to the Father. That's Easter, uh, when we celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter, that week, he's working toward that. He knows it's coming, but he's been out in Galilee, kind of his home turf, most of this time, and he's about to change. But one of the things that's been happening is, and we've, we've talked about these, that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Teachers of the law are the ones really concerned about temple worship, about keeping the law of God. Primarily the first five books of the Bible that called the Pentateuch. It's the, Moses is attributed to being the author. So the Mosaic law, where we get the Ten Commandments and those kind of things. They're really concerned, the, the teachers of the law are really concerned about temple worship being pure and keeping the law of God. The Pharisees are really concerned about taking that idea of temple worship and moving it to day-to-day, minute-to-minute, even second-to-second. And so um, 
they're, they're, the, they're the ones who are the boots on the ground, and then you've got the ivory tower types of the teachers of the law. What's happened here is that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law around Galilee, they're trying to get Jesus, trying to get him in line, and it's not working. You know why? Because he's God, and they try, to, you know, they try to trap him. They try to figure this out. They try to make him look silly, and he just, well, let me answer that question with a question. He does that again today. But we'll find out in the first verse here that some teachers of the law and Pharisees from Jerusalem, those are big dogs. They're the ones that in the, in the real place where the presence of God actually is. I mean, these are influential people. This is like having a governor come to your birthday party. Whether you like the governor or not, definitely influential. There's going to be security. There's going to be cameras. There's gonna, that's the kind of thing going on here. So the, the locals couldn't get it done, so they sent message to Jerusalem and bring in the big dogs. Bring in the people that know the law better than anyone else, the people that apply the law better than anyone else, and we got to get this man put in his place. The other thing that I'd like you to know is that um, we do this too, and we'll talk about that more toward the end of the message, but, but what had happened is the, the Pharisees in particular, they had these traditions. They called the law of the elders. And they had these traditions that, that it, here's the word of God and the law of God, and here's ways to be a good Jew. And so they started to, to elevate those, and they got into the point when Jesus was walking around on the planet that the tradition or the law of the elders had become on par with the word of God. So they have the same, it's like they're married, they can't be put asunder, they can't be torn apart. That they have the same authority, the same strength, and you can be, um, you can be punished to the same extent if you break a law, a, a, a tradition of the elders or the law of God. And Jesus has been pretty covert in his approach to these kind of things up to this point. He's kind of, he's, he's, he puts things out there in hopes that people will figure out a way to understand it for themselves, but no longer. As this ministry shift takes place, he's no longer going to be covert. He's going to be overt. He's no longer going to imply. He's going to ex be explicit about it. He's going to make sure that he calls it out. And he calls it out not for the sake of himself, but for the sake of the masses. And the other thing that to, to, to just chew on is that every time we read scripture, when Jesus is involved, we're not looking only for what Jesus does, but who he is. It's not just the words that he says, but it's to whom he says what and the heart behind it. Because Christ is most concerned with people, not with religion. So here's how it reads. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, and I'm going to use the tone. The Greek has a little tweak on it. You can see the exclamation point in the second line here. I'm going to use the tone that they came with, this critical spirit, this accusing heart. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal. I mean, I, I had kids. They're, they're grown up now, but I had kids, and, you know, we made them wash their hands before they ate. Just good hygiene. And Cam sometimes would go and just turn the water on and, and then come. And so I check his fingernails. And if there's scuzz in there, he's got to go back. That's a good word, isn't it? Scuzz? It kind of means what it is. Um, so there's nothing wrong with hygiene, but you're not going to be, he's not going to, if, if Cam didn't have his, his, his hands clean before he ate, he might get sick, but he's not going to be separated from God as a result. But this rule, this, this idea was that, that if you were to eat, any meal without first going through the ritual of washing your hands and your feet, 
then you are now spiritually, ceremonially unclean. And before you could be approach God again, you had to go through a set of prescribed rituals to clean yourself because you had made yourself unclean. And they've been following Jesus around evidently and looking at his disciples and evidently, you know, they just do a little bit of that and they eat. And so they want to condemn them. And so this is one of those times when Jesus answers a question with a question. He says, Jesus replied, and, and why do you break the command of God? See, tradition of men, the command of God for the sake of your tradition. For God said, honor your father and your mother. Anyone who curses his father and his mother or his mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might, have, you might otherwise have received from me is now, I added now, is now a gift devoted to God. And he's not to honor his father and his mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. That means self-service. And their teachings are but rules taught by men. So what's going on here is people, they, they figured out this tradition of the elders that if, if Nate were my dad, and there's a great tradition in the, in the Middle East to take care of your, of your aging parents. Um, and when I said this in the Mosaic service, I looked over at my daughter and said, it's a great, it, it's a great tradition. And, you know, when they, when they can't make a living anymore, you're supposed to take them in. You're suppo- and, and you're supposed to put money aside as you, as you age to take care of your parents. But these people have figured out a way to say, here's the help I was going to give you. But now I'm going to give that to God. Kind of hard to argue with that, isn't it? You know who can argue with something devoted to God? God. And Jesus does. He says, I gave you a command to honor your father and your mother so that things will go well for you in the land that I'm giving you. That's the only commandment that has a promise. He goes, I gave you, there's 10 rules. I gave you 10 and number five is parents. And you've decided with your tradition to break the very law of God, to dismiss the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrite. His words, not mine. Jesus called the crowd to him. This is where I want you to see who Jesus is. Think about when he has harsh words. I know we, I know we think that Jesus is, is, a, is a thin, real thin British man with blue eyes. That's what all the cheese make, uh, peacemakers. And come to me, all you who are weary and heavily laden, and I will give you rest. He was a stonemason. He walked everywhere he went. He's, he's haggard. Scripture tells us that he's not very handsome. And he had harsh words when people came up to try to trap him. He met him face to face. But who he had gentle words for? Prostitutes. Sinners. Tax collectors. The untouchables. The woman with the issue of blood. The leper. Levi. And so he just harshly took on these big dogs from Jerusalem. And he gathers the crowd. Hey, come here, come here, come here. Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth doesn't make him unclean. But what comes out of his mouth, that's what makes him unclean. Folks, get rid of all that junk. Stop it. It's not what's important. What's important is your heart. And Jesus is showing us his heart by who he takes on and who he brings in. 
Then the disciples came to him and asked, do, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And I don't know what's going on here with the disciples. I don't know if, if, if they're, they're like, man, you know, if, if, if these big dogs get offended and they turn against him, then the people are going to be, they're afraid of those big dogs. So they're going to turn away from Jesus. But Jesus has been very clear, even in this gospel that, look, if you're just going to be a fan, if you're going to walk around and try to get, see some magic tricks, then I don't have anything to do with you. It's the people that are willing to give up. Remember the, the, the parable, or not the parable, but the story of the rich young man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandment. I've done those since I was a kid. One thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, follow me. The guy's face fell and he walked away. You know what Jesus didn't do? Chase after him. He didn't, he didn't pull up his, his, his tunic and, and run after him and say, I was just, it was hyperbole. It's asking a lot to get a little. I, I, I was just kidding. You don't have to give everything. You don't have to sell everything. Just, just give a little bit to the poor and we're all good. No. He let that man walk away. Jesus is saying to people, this is what matters. And what comes out of that, you can see where your heart is by what how you speak, and how you behave. In fact, Peter, who doesn't get it, he says to Jesus, explain this parable to us. It seems to me it's pretty self-explanatory, but to them, this elder tradition and the law, the word of God were equal. I would never say this to you and mean it, but it would be kind of on par with me coming up and saying to you, the death and resurrection of Jesus, irrelevant. Would never say that. But it's that big of a deal for Jesus to say this whole tradition, this the way you've grown up, the, all these rules that you've learned, get rid of them. What? And so Jesus is a little frustrated. And he says, explain this parable to us. Are, are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart and these make a man unclean, separated from God. And I want you to see, it's one of the ways to study scripture. When Jesus makes a statement, it's what comes out of the, not what goes into the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth that makes you unclean. And then look at the, look at the thing. He doesn't, he doesn't just stick with how we talk. He actually starts talking about how we think, how we behave, what goes on in here, how we treat others. So it's not just what you say, although that's huge. It's also all these other things. Don't you see that whatever, that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immortality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what, a man, these are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands doesn't make them unclean. So let's look at those. What comes out of your mouth makes you unclean. And, and it's not so much that it makes you unclean, it tells you you are unclean. This is a spiritual cardiologist today diagnosing your heart. Hopefully it's just an EKG, but if we got to go to a full-blown radiation-type MRI to see where there's blockage, then, then listen for out of the heart come evil thoughts. How are you doing on that? 
When you're driving and there's traffic and your wife says, just be patient, we'll get there. Tell me to be, never happen. When you're, when, when you're doing the scissor move on the highway when there's construction and you're supposed to all kind of come together, but we're polite West Michigan people, so we just start lining up, right? But then you always have that one guy, right? They go, and then the truck driver that wants to pull over and just make sure that he can't do it and, and everyone gets it, so they're just going to wait back and then when that truck driver needs to come back in, you're going to let him in. But what do you think about that person that's on their way somewhere? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Murder. You know what Jesus says about murder. You've, had, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not do murder. But I say to you, anyone who calls his brother a fool or says about his neighbor, raka, which is mindless or witless, has committed murder. Adultery. You know what Jesus says about adultery. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, any man who lusts after another has already committed adultery in his heart. Sexual immorality. Just so that you know, the biblical word here is pornea, and it means all things sexual outside of the bonds of the God-instituted form of marriage. That's what it means. Guys, that means what you look at. Men are primarily, uh, there's kids in the room, influenced by sight and touch. And so when you're on the computer or you see the, the, the Sports Illustrated magazine that came out last week, when you see those kind of things and, and, you, and you, you have a thought is one thing, but you stay there, sexual immorality, it tells you that you're unclean. Ladies, trashy romance novels. See, men are sight and touch, women more emotional. And so a woman writes a novel and portrays the perfect ideal male from a woman's perspective and you get that you get that going on in your head and then you look at the man that you love and you realize he comes up short he misses the mark that's objectifying another human being based on a fantasy it's no different than what a guy might look at that he shouldn't it's objectification he means all of that if that stuff's going on I'm unclean Theft. Now, if you're not shoplifting, cheating on your taxes or embezzling, awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Way to go. But when you mock another person, you're stealing the God-given reputation, stealing their reputation, their good name, and the God-given dignity they're supposed to have. False testimony. This isn't just about legal testimony. If you share something with another that you don't know for sure is true about another person, about your church, if you have a critical spirit and you decide that something you don't like, like I don't like the kind of music they do at the earlier service in the sanctuary, why don't they get with the times? Or, well, they need to do more of this and you need to have more screens, you need to have more of this, you need to have more of that. And you start sharing that around, you know what that does? That, that's a work of the flesh. That's creating dissension and faction. It's, 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 it's pulling others into something that is not of God. So when we bear false testimony, we're telling God and ourselves and others that we're unclean. Slander. 
That is literally saying something about someone else that you know is not true. Nothing will kill a church quicker than slander, false testimony, gossip, and theft. So, how are we doing? Does this poke you? I mean, look, folks, I don't like, I don't like standing up here and going, I, I actually am a pretty nice person. But the word of God is the word of God. And the traditions of man can't be the same. We all do it. Here's an example. Not just how we talk about things, but how we look at things. My kids, when they turned 18, each of them decided that they need to get a tattoo. I did the good dad stuff. Look, it's way easier to get one than it is to get rid of one. I even tried to convince them that, you know, when, when you go and you get that laser treatment, it actually breaks it up and it has, still has to go through your liver. The only way you get rid of a tattoo is that your liver has to process that poison and get rid of it. Okay, so, and, and by the way, it's going to be hard to get a job if you, the more you put on there and all, and they both got scripture passages on it, so it's kind of hard to argue with, but I did the good dad stuff, but I don't get it. I don't understand, and I'm not judging, I'm not, I'm trying, I got past this with my own kids. I don't know why anyone would want to mark the temple that God gave them. I don't understand it. But it would be almost impossible for you to find one, more than one verse in all of scripture that says anything about body art. I don't get the gauges. I don't understand it. Not just a piercing with an earring, but a hole. And some of those get long. The nose ring, I mean, that's how you hook a bull up so it can't go anywhere, with a nose ring. I don't get it, but, I, but, but, but my kids do. But you can't show me that that, that, that that behavior, that thing. And look, I'm marked, but scars, I, I don't want, I, I want to get rid of my marks. If you ever see me at the beach, and you won't, with my shirt off, again, you won't. I don't like seeing me that way. But I look like a manatee that's been run over by a boat motor. From here and here, all the way to right, there's still a piece of glass stuck in my head up here. I, I am a manatee. It is ridiculous. And I'm looking at that and going, I don't, want, I'm a, I, I don't want to show my scars. And other people are scarring themselves on purpose. I don't get it. But it's not against the word of God. And so it is out of line, it is unclean of me to judge based on someone else's choices on how they treat the temple of God outwardly. I've had people tell me in a snide voice when they saw me in jeans, what time? A preacher in jeans. I think that's ridiculous. It's fabric. It covers my naughty bits. <laughs> so do dress pants. There's no difference. But I didn't grow up in the 50s where folded up blue jeans were up for greasers and hoodlums. So I, I don't see that as, as equating with the word of God, but some people, it feels like it. We all figure out ways to do this. How people dress, how they speak, what educational level they have, what political party they're a part of. When's the last time, conservative Republicans, that you actually loved a bleeding heart liberal? Well, you sat down with them, and you said, I don't understand. Convince me. 
Let me hear what you have to say. Let me hear your rationale behind it. And if you ask me to, I might offer some rebuttals. But until you ask me, I'm just going to listen. I'm going to love you. I'm going to treat you with dignity and respect, which is what it means to love another. And, and, and those of you on the left side of political stuff or even on the left side of the scriptural stuff, um, when's the last time you looked at someone who disagrees with you and said, I bet they're a reasonable, caring, Christian man or woman of God? See, we take politics and equate it with the word of God. And Jesus says, that makes you unclean. And I'm sorry to tell you, but it's my job. It's my God-given duty and responsibility as the one he chose to preach this day to tell you what he thinks and to tell you who he is. So if this pokes you, pricks you, angers you, frustrates you, take it up with Jesus. Who gets to judge what's of God? God. And he tells us explicitly here, those outward behaviors, he even says to the, to, to the masses, don't worry about that. And I think I actually skipped a, a passage here when it says that, that every plant that my heavenly father has, has not planted will be pulled out by its roots. Leave them. Talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. They're blind guys. And if a blind man leads another blind man, they'll both fall into the pit. He's telling them, throw off those shackles. See, there's a difference. A church, a church historian said this. I, I, chapter 3 of the book, I'm pretty sure I can kind of picture it in my head. 1993, Donald Brugink's class. And did you quote this here, the, the Pelican passage? You called me about that a couple weeks ago. Okay. Um, this church historian, Pelican, he, first line of this chapter said this. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. And he had another sentence after that, but let me explain what that means. In Hebrews, where it says, therefore, uh, excuse me. Hold on, I'll get it. I've got another passage that wants to come out, but that's not the one. Say it. Hebrews, Hebrews right, but how's it start? Oh, yeah. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Let us consider him who endured such hardship from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. But it starts off with, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Those are the saints that have gone before. They've taught us things. They've they developed doctrine and, and theology and, and, and practices, and they preached a certain way, and they intersected with their culture, and they advance the kingdom of God. We need to learn from those things. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. When we elevate our tradition or our thoughts, what it means to be a good Christian, we elevate those to the same mark as the word of God. We've just made ourselves unclean. Our faith is dying instead of growing. Tradition is the living faith of those who have gone before us. Traditionalism is the dead faith of those who are here right now. Let us be a people who says, yes, Lord. Let us be a people who says the word of God is what stands and it means what it meant and it means what it's going to mean. God is not done. God wants his people to be faithful and God wants his people to align with him and treat others 
the way he treats others. It's not just about what he does, it's who he is. And he wants us to come in line so that what we think, what we say, what we look at, how we treat others tells us the condition of our heart. This isn't legalism. Get better so you look better. It's not it. That's what the Pharisees did. This is my encouragement to you today. If this pricks you, pokes you, aggravates you, frustrates you, or angers you, tell it to God. That's confession. Telling God what he already knows. And then repent. Turn around and walk back to Jesus. Ask forgiveness. Receive it. You've been wiped clean as white as snow. Gone are your offenses like a cloud. Your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, says the Lord, for I have redeemed you. And then ask him to give you the strength, the courage, the wisdom to, as you move forward, to live with a softened heart toward others. Ask him to purify your mind, to give you a filter to not say certain things, to not look at certain things, and to not slander, gossip, or hurt other people. Why? Because Jesus doesn't slander, gossip, or hurt other people. This sermon has been stated and preached in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you will receive it from him, not from me. Let's pray. You, Lord, are God, and we are not. And sometimes we act like we are. We run out ahead of you and then ask you to clean up our mess, or we run out up ahead of you and remember that we forgot to pray and ask you to bless what we've done. But that's not what you call us to do. You call us to follow you as you bless us. So, Lord, get out ahead of us. Bless us as we go. And when we stumble and fall and chip our teeth and when we mess up, forgive us quickly. <clears throat> Embrace us wholly and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a critical spirit or an accusatory heart, I just want you to know that's not what Jesus wants for you. If you leave here today and you're angry with me, now, look, I'm worth criticizing. I don't do it the way everyone else does it. I get it. But if you leave today and you're angry or criticizing me, that tells you the very thing I'm trying to say. So take it up with Jesus and ask him to purify your heart, to soften it up, and to give him your eyes for other people so that you'll be clean as Jesus wants to make you clean. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you, smile at you, and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.